If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply felt discouraged or even defeated, if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then this podcast is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rob Moore, and I got to hear you a little bit on Clubhouse today. That was interesting to see you in some rooms. So Rob Moore co-founded the Progressive Group, starting with the Progressive Property, then Progressive Successes, and the Entrepreneur's Business Academy. Rob's training companies are one of the largest in the UK and now globally. He continues to disrupt as an entrepreneur and businessman with interests ranging from property development to public speaking and digital media. He is a writer, communicator, social media influencer, and philanthropist. His eight books have been translated into more than a dozen languages. Rob is a mentor to many millionaires and celebrities and has helped thousands of startup and scale-up entrepreneurs. Welcome, Rob. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I like your style. Thank you. Looking good. (laughs) You have designer in you. Oh, do I? Yeah. (laughs) You have do you have that in you? You feel like you have like an artist designer. I used to be an artist. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Because that's yeah, what you I bu- see. Busted me straight away. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Awesome. Rob and I got introduced from Mark Victor Hansen. How did you meet Mark? Um, the first time I met him, I in- interviewed him on my podcast. We got, oh, perfect. Friends. Yeah, we c- became friends from then. He's written a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. As an author, isn't it an honor? And you are too. Oh my gosh, you're pretty prolific. Eight books. What was your first book? It's actually 18 books now. 18 now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So my first book was Property Investing Secrets in 2008. And my latest book was Opportunity in 2021. Ooh, very cool. Well, tell me about your journey to real estate. And like when you started your journey, what was your feeling? So I know you were pretty young. I don't know how old you were, but... Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I'm 42 now, but actually I started working age six. So oh. my dad had bars, pubs, hotels, restaurants. Back then you'd trade till sort of two, three in the morning, sometimes go all the way through the night. And I just loved going down into the bar and working the um, the bar and doing the bottling up and emptying the pool tables, the slot machines at the end of the really busy days. And I just loved working for my dad and loved being entrepreneurial. And was that in London? um, That was in the UK? Yeah, just outside London. Uh To anyone who's not in the UK, we'll call it London because it's near (laughs) enough. And then life gets in the way. School, girls, university, and I'm nearly 25 and nearly 50,000 pounds in debt. So that's 70,000 US dollars. Cocky, complacent, hurt, bitter, angry, resentful, working in my dad's pub still, but working for him. 
Did your dad want you to take over? He wanted you to run the business or no? Well, this is the thing. My dad had got quite ill. So actually, no, my my dad didn't want me to take over the pub at all. He wanted me to do my own thing, but I didn't know what to do. And I was scared. And, you know, sometimes when you're scared, you put this front on, this bravado. So I just stayed working in his pub. You know, maybe I'd take it over. But it's not what I wanted to do. And he knew it. But he got more and more unwell. And on December the 15th, 2005, he had a major nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers. He It was like he was having like, you know, like when you see those films when someone's being exorcised and their eyes roll into the back of their head. And, and it was like he was having a fit or being exorcised. It was a really strange thing. And I managed to get him out the front of the pub and I got him on the front lawn. But the police were called out and they beat him up. They got their truncheons out, their batons. They beat him up. They wrestled him to the floor. They tied him up, they arrested him, they sectioned him, and they diagnosed him with bipolar. And this was December the 15th, 2005. It is now December. You didn't witness this though, right? You didn't. Yeah, it was in front of me, my mum, my sister. My mum and my sister were crying their eyes out. I was just stood there, frozen. And this was nearly 15 years ago, almost to the day, Carissa. So it's timely that we're talking about it. Anyway, so I'm still making the point of your question, which is how did I get into real estate and business? Well, I've been trying to do a bit of an art on the side. I've got loads of debt. And a few weeks after what happened with my dad, I just like hid away and beat myself into a pulp. I hated myself because he put me through school, put me through university, paid for me to pretty much do everything. And I didn't really feel like I'd made him proud or done anything independent. But I was so scared and didn't know what to do. Anyway, seeing this happen with my dad, I was like, right, I've got to do something. I don't know what. And there was a series of almost serendipitous events. So I went to my first property networking event, really scared. I met my business partner there. Fast forward to now, we have nearly 1,500 tenants across hundreds of properties. We're developing 220 tenant apartments at the moment. Oh, wow. And I met him 15 years ago going to that networking event when I was scared to go. And um, did he come up to you? No, I went up to him. I went up to everyone that day because (laughs) even though I hated rejection, I felt like a fish out of water, more of an arty kind of guy, not a businessy kind of guy. But with what had just happened to my dad, I was prepared to take any risk and try anything. And what did I have to lose? A couple of weeks after that, my flatmate was moving out because back then I couldn't afford my own mortgage. So I had to rent out a room, just a small two bed house. And he was clearing out all of his stuff. And from under his bed, he pulled out a big box of CDs. And it was like a Sing, you know, singer songwriter just playing on their own. And I put it on and I'm like, where's the music? It's just some random guy talking. And it was Tony Robbins. And so within two weeks, I met my business partner in real estate and got into personal development. And fast forward 15 odd years now, you know, I say this with humility, but I made hundreds of millions and done nearly a thousand podcast episodes, broke the world record for the longest public speech twice, wrote 18 books built some cool, interesting companies that we probably have 250 staff and contractors and outsourcers. And that's how it all started, Carissa, with basically with what happened with my dad and his breakdown and the humiliation of it, I suppose. And I suppose that probably still drives me a bit today, if I'm honest. And did you feel like there was some intention in your heart to be wealthy, like a drive, yeah. which yeah. is which is maybe why you stepped outside your comfort zone? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So from the age of six, that was instilled in me by my dad. 
how do you feel you attracted the right people to propel you to where you are today? I mean, you met them so early on. It just almost doesn't seem like there was this fail and like success, you know, it it seemed like you were just meant to be and this was your path. I mean, how do you feel about that? I believe that there must be something more powerful than we can conceive, perceive as human beings about attraction. I was talking to Joe Vitale, who was on The Secret, and he calls it the superconscious, where you put intention out into the universe, whatever you want to call it. And we're all connected in some way. And so we call out to attract people and events and situations. Or some people believe in vibration or energy. I haven't quite figured it out all out yet in terms of this is what it means. But I do believe that we are attracted to people in our lives to help us own our disowned parts of ourselves, to fill our voids, if you like, to challenge us to grow in areas where we are unfulfilled or we require growth. So, you know, for example, my business partner, my wife and my MD, who are probably the three people around me who are the closest to me, are very different to me, very grounding, grounded, sarcastic, analytical, technical, detailed, somewhat paranoid, pragmatic, all traits which I clearly need because I don't really possess very well. And so I must have attracted them into my life to become a whole of an ecosystem, whether it's a company or a relationship. You know, sometimes we think we want to be around people like us. It's nice to hang out a bit for people like us and have some stuff in common, but actually to have a proper environment or ecosystem or relationship or company or marriage, you actually need more skills and traits to be met. To compliment you. Exactly. To have, if you like, on a simple level, all bases covered. So two of me would not be good at running a company. Too, Too many people up in the clouds, visionary, dreamy, start now, get perfect later. Let's just figure it out as we go. Don't worry about contracts. Don't worry about agreements. Let's just have fun. Change the world. And, you know, people like that are needed. But people like, you know, my MD, my business partner, my wife are also needed. So I think over the years, I've gained the awareness of this. And it must have been an unconscious thing back then. Oh, that's wonderful. It's wonderful that you're not fighting it, that you realize that this is a compliment. This is a value, you know, that you need in your life. I love that. By the way, that's not easy. Let me just say that. Being around, <laughs> yeah. being around people who challenge you. Yes. Um, so, spiritual boot camp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I believe that the maximum growth for humanity is where we receive support and challenge equally. We all want support, though. Our ego wants support. Love Mm -hmm. me, lift me up, tell me how great I am, agree with Mm -hmm. me. That's what our ego wants. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't help us grow. That just makes us cocky, complacent, arrogant, you know, Mm. et cetera, ahead of ourselves, careless. So people who challenge you bring you back into balance, and those people can give you the most growth. I mean, especially in a company environment, you know, in a company environment, you need all different types of people with skills and traits and specialisms in order for that company to thrive. But as the leader, you can kind of just want everyone to do what you say and not question you. But actually, you should allow people to question you, to challenge your ideas and ideals. 
And if you move your ego out the way and always receive feedback with grace and gratitude and never take it personally and always seek out people to challenge and question you, to get you to think, to, you know, not just agree with you. It's very good for growth. Mm, That's really profound. I love that. It's so true. And for me in relationships, I really need that. I really need that balance. And it, and it does. I learn a lot and I grow from it. I want to hear about your brand a little bit more, the disruptive entrepreneur. What does that mean to you? So disruptive is to challenge convention. It is to innovate, evolve. It is to, it's evolution and revolution is changing the way things have always been done just because they've always been done that way. Where there is a poor service, a lack of vision, a lack of growth, disruption is right. And so the disruptive entrepreneur brand is about making sure that you focus on growth and service And ensure that when you go into a market or an industry or you serve a community, you find out what you want and you give it to them. Uh, You don't do things just because that's the way they've always been done. And you try and embrace what's new, whether it's cryptos, NFTs, social media channels, technology. It's not just about shouting for the sake of it or, you know, causing trouble or chaos or havoc for the sake of it. You'll do that anyway if you are a change maker and a disruptive entrepreneur. Yeah. And then tell me about your podcast. What, why did you want to start your podcast? And that's I the name my, of it, right? The Disruptive yeah. Entrepreneur? Okay. Yeah. So my podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur, I started it six years ago. Must be 750 episodes in now. So I love entrepreneurship. I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. My personal vision is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get better financial knowledge. So it made sense to me to have an entrepreneur podcast, but I didn't just want to call it the entrepreneur show. That's a bit bland, broad and vanilla. So disruptive entrepreneurs seem to have a bit of more twang and bite and teeth about it. Entrepreneurs with teeth. And also I did a lot of crowdsourcing, asking my community, my staff, my customers, if you can pick one word, one brand word about me. And disruptive was the most common word that came up. So that's a amazing. Crowdsourcing as well. <laughs> yeah. And and six years ago was really a good time for podcasting. I mean, that's great that you've had it quite a while. Yeah. I mean, look, in podcast years, I'm like a 150-year-old <laughs> dog. But, um, <laughs> but you know what? Just tell it like it is. Yeah. The, the best time to start is now. Can't start mm, yesterday. Beautiful. I love that for anyone that wants to start a podcast. I agree. It's so rewarding. So tell me about connecting with billionaires. How did you meet them and then get them to be interviewed on your show? Yeah, so I've interviewed 16 billionaires and I'm really happy to say my first billionaire S has agreed as well because I've been trying to get some female billionaires. That seems to be a bit more of a challenge for me, but Uh, I've interviewed Floyd Mayweather twice, who must be a billionaire. I've interviewed people who are worth half a billion, lots of them, the founder of Superdry, my friend Alfie Best. So sometimes I just reach out Mm -hmm. and just say, hey, look, I've got a show, long-standing show. Would you like to be interviewed? And sometimes that comes off. Sometimes I've been introduced. You know, we connected through Mark and people connected me to Mark, Mark Victor Hansen. So introductions, just cold outreach, just you know, saying that, you know, I'm a fan of their work and would love to interview them on the show and give them some exposure. And a couple in the early days, I sought out as mentors, because, you know, I believe if you want to be 
successful in something, go to people who are already a success, model the traits of the great, stand on the shoulders of giants. So I did hunt a two or three out to mentor me probably now 14 years ago. I actually have had a couple of billionaires um, reached out to me and requested to be on my show. I've mm-hmm. stayed friends with some of them, which is great. Now, look, I'm not necessarily pro or anti-billionaires. In the UK, <laughs> there's a bit of an anti-billionaire movement. Oh, really? going on. No, no one needs a billion pounds. <laughs> shouldn't have billionaires. Tax the rich. Uh-huh. But why I love to spend time with an interview billionaires is because they know about making money more than I do. And that's just a fact. Otherwise, I'd have more money. And if someone's got a better six pack than me, they know about working out better than me. And if someone is better at attraction rather than hustle, then they know it better than me. If they, you know, if they're really good at yoga, they know it better than me. And I'm good at putting myself into the like student mentality, you know, humbleize yourself to know that you can learn from everyone and go and seek out the best and learn from them. I love that philosophy. That's amazing. I had that intention in the past too. So I I do have some billionaire mentors that are really amazing. And so what do you think, why do you think it's harder to find uh, female billionaires? Do you feel like they're more (laughs) secret, secretive or less, less bold, or maybe want people to like them for more than their money? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So The honest answer, Carissa, is I don't know. So I'm going to have to hypothesize and guess. And I don't like to speak out of turn with something I know nothing about. So number one, there aren't as many female billionaires as there are male billionaires. I'm pretty sure of that. So statistically, I'm fishing in a smaller pool, although I'm literally throwing fishing rods, spears, harpoons, you name it out, trying to (laughs) land some female billionaires because I really want to get that context and that balance. So there's not as many of them. I wonder if, you know, some of them are raising children as well. So, you know, I know Sarah Blakely, for example, of Spank, she seems to sort of um, have her kids around with her a lot as well. So that's an added imposition in terms of getting time from them. Um, I actually don't find it that easy to get female guests full stop, Chris. I mean, I've probably interviewed over 200 people. I bet no more than 20 women. And I actually did put a post on social media asking why. And people started saying, well, maybe it's you, Rob. And, you know, maybe you're maybe you're putting them off. Well, it's actually my researcher and manager that reaches out. But I would just like to put the message out there. If there's some unbelievably successful women in any niche or billionaires, I would love to be connected. I wonder if I know other people have got theories, but what I don't want to do is go into women are this and men are this. Um, I know we are biologically different, but. Yeah, we're, we're in ground there where I'm going to go beyond my, sp- my sphere of uh, knowledge and influence, if you like. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. And it hey, look, like I don't mind. been put it on the spot before about that. That's interesting. So I want to hear about RISE. What is that about? Yeah, so RISE, part of the Prince's Trust charity. So in the UK, there's the Prince's Trust, Prince Charles, son of the Queen. He has a major enterprise entrepreneur's charity called the Prince's Trust. And RISE is a sort of a level or an area of the Prince's Trust. And I partnered up with them and actually did their biggest a biggest raise for them in their history um, when I ran the Young Entrepreneurs Summit and gave all the money to the, well, actually I gave some of the money to my own foundation, the Rob Moore Foundation, to help young and underprivileged people start meaningful businesses that change the world, but also raised quite a lot of money for the Prince's Trust as well. Oh, that's amazing. Can you say how much it was or is that confidential? 
yeah, it probably might be sound a bit grotesque to say. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it'll we'll change, leave it alone. change a few lives. I mean, look, you know, I can tell you, I've done charity raises in the hundreds of thousands when I broke the world record, for example, for the longest public speech. So, yeah, you can get a sort of flavor. Mm-hmm. So, what is Zen success to you when you think of Zen success? Okay. So I think in success, there's a blend of attraction and action. In fact, the word action is in the word attraction. So Zen success would be the balance of working smart and working hard. It would be the balance of graft and craft. It would be success without burnout, without mental health costs, without failed relationships. And it would be successes defined by you, not defined by society or a competitor. So whether you want to be an amazing parent or you want to be a successful entrepreneur or you want to raise for a charity or make a difference, I would say Zen success is your own personal definition of success where you balance the work and the life, the money and the giving back. Oh. That's so beautiful. And then I noticed you brought up relationships. So how does family fit into that? Do you have kids of your own? Yeah, so I'm married um, to my wife, Gemma, and we have two children, Bobby and Ariana, who are 10 and 7. I actually go live occasionally on Facebook with my children. And on my Facebook page just recently, I did a little video with Ariana before swimming. And she's memorized a load of personal development and positive quotes. So we go live and, you know, I'll say, if you believe it, and she'll say, you can achieve it. And I'll say, if you think you can or you think you can't, she'll say, you're right. And she reeled off about 15, all perfectly in one video. So we've just started a TikTok called, I think it's called Ariana More Positivity. And I'm going to be, you know, doing some, obviously I'm managing the account because she's under the legal age, but I'm going to be doing some videos with her on, I think it's really nice to get your children into personal development. So the long-winded point I'm making here, Carissa, is I try and bring my children into my world. They come and do work in my office from time to time and they get paid. Ariana actually prefers to go to work than she does to school and she's seven. (laughs) I love Um, it. And I I try and get them involved in my content and on my social media and learning about this world of entrepreneurship, which is different from what the school teaches. That's beautiful. I have a child six and a half and nine and a half. So similar ages. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) I just love that, how you're teaching them about entrepreneurship. My kids, I'm a children's book author and uh, they decided to write books. So my daughter, my six-year-old, she just came out with the Itsy Bitsy Bunny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for all the entrepreneurs out there or aspiring entrepreneurs, do you have any tips in moving from force to flow? Oh, moving from force to flow. These are good questions. I've not had some of these before. I like (laughs) Okay. I like to be challenged. Okay, good. So I would say the best way to remove friction in your life is to make your profession your passion, to love what you do and do what you love and turn your vocation into your vacation. So, you know, if you're working for someone else, nothing wrong with that, by the way. But if you're doing a job you don't enjoy doing and you're getting paid just enough not to quit, but you hate it not quite enough to leave, that is force. That is friction. Whereas flow is, for me, it's entrepreneurship and doing social media and content and podcasts and writing books 
and helping people start and scale their business. So when you turn your passion into your profession, I believe you get into flow. Then the second thing I would say, Carissa, is have a, a service mentality whereby whatever you do, desire to serve people. Be great at what you do as much as you can and help as many people as you can and start with one person at a time. Because you're always in flow when you're helping others. How can you not be in flow? And then you get those reward feelings of gratitude and value, which becomes self-fulfilling. And then the third thing I would say, Carissa, is make sure you acknowledge love and reward yourself, not just for where you're going, but for where you are and who you are. There's so many things in the world now that trigger us. We're always, you know, like hijacked by technology. There's always the the stress and the cortisol. We're so hyper-engaged and hyper-tense. And that can really affect our self-worth when we're comparing ourselves to other people on social media who look better and younger than us. And our competitors look like they're doing better than us because they're showing their best results on social media. So remove all of that comparison from your mind. Appreciate that you have unique value and you are already enough, but you're on a mission of going somewhere uh, even more inspiring. That would be the three things I would say to go from force to flow. Oh, I love it. And so in marketing your business, what do you feel is, has been the best effects, like the best growth for you? I mean, because I know you have a lot of followers on Clubhouse. I mean, and you're on TikTok and other social media, which one do you like the best for marketing? Clubhouse has probably been the best for me this year. I mean, we're not even a year in and I have I'm in the top 100 followed people in the world. I think I'm nearly 300,000 followers. So that's not a bad year. It's definitely made me some good revenue as well. That's great. Um, Probably not far off the million pounds now, I'd say, from Clubhouse. So congrats. That's been great. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's a small part of the revenue of my overall organization, but it's a very personal platform. And all those customers of mine on Clubhouse have spent time with me. It's not just a cold ad in their face. So, um, yeah, Clubhouse has definitely been good this year. TikTok, I got in a bit later than, but I'm just playing around with TikTok. But, yeah, my following sort of doing OK there. Following is obviously one metric. Another metric is how good is your content? It's easy to just sort of value yourself on your followers. I would say probably the best thing that ever happened for marketing for me was breaking the world record for the longest individual public speech. I raised a lot of money for charity. Like I said, more than I, I think it was about the equivalent of $150,000 in that one speech. And it was quite good for disruptive marketing because they didn't have to pay ads. didn't have to spend tens of thousands on a campaign or a PR company. I just got loads of free PR because everyone was like 47 and a half hours straight, no breaks. That's insane. So that was a good little, um, I I wish I could do a bit more like that, you know, a bit more sort of guerrilla like marketing because social media is great, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. Paid ads work, but it takes money. I love that. That's interesting. Very cool. If you can have something unique or disruptive, then maybe you don't need the money to Mm. market it and advertise. Well, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and connecting. I I wish you and your kids the most success in your business. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure myself. Thanks a lot. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. One lucky listener who submits a review will win a chance in the grand prize drawing for a priceless VIP experience and gifts with Carissa herself. 
be sure to head on over to zensuccesspodcast.com and pick up a copy of Carissa's free gift to help you on your Zen success journey and join us on the next episode. Share with friends and increase your chances to win. Mm -hmm.